Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your daily dose of what's happening in Chicago and around the world. You can find more than 100 industrial facilities along the Calumet River on Chicago's southeast side. Some are just blocks away from schools or parks, and many residents are concerned about the health impacts of living so close by. Well, when General Iron eyed the area for its $80 million facility, residents decided that enough was enough. And our guests today were a part of that fight. But that's not the only thing they've done to change the environment for kids and residents in the community. Gina Ramirez is a mother and resident of the Southeast Side and a Midwest outreach manager for the Natural Resources Defense Council. And Vanessa Bly is also a resident of the Southeast Side and co-founder of Bridges Puentes Justice Collective of the Southeast. The Southeast Side is home to many facilities and factories. What's it been like living near so much industry? Yeah, so living on the southeast side, I'm a third-generation resident. I've been exposed to the visual blight, kind of like this graveyard of industry, really gritty, really dirty. Um, There's foul odors all of the time. So growing up, driving past certain facilities, my father would tell me and my siblings to roll up our windows because of the pungent smell. Yeah, Um, There's just piles of things. I don't even know what they are. So um, it's just very, very different from other parts of Chicago. It's a classic tale of two cities. What a childhood memory to have, too, like your father telling you to roll up the windows for the smell. What about you, Vanessa? What's it been like living in that area? Yeah, very similar experience. I mean, it's like every block you turn, you have a different smell that you expect, right? There's certain times when you can have your window down. There's certain times when you can have it open. Um, I think growing up, uh, a lot of it was put into my mind that we should be proud that we should be from this area, right? We're very proud to have been like a you know, gener- multi-generational family of steel workers and railroad workers and things like that. Um, but in the past decade, my mom, uh, she had gotten really involved with uh, the environmental impact of all of this. And we started to see that it's not just like we're proud to have built the city, but also we, we deserve a lot better than this. She would yeah. show me all the dirt that was in our attic and in our windows and things like that that I never even noticed Jeez. before. So so when General Iron first shared their, shared their plans that they were going to be moving into the southeast side, what was going through your mind, Gina? Not again. Um, this was just another slap in the face, you know. Growing up around all of this industry, it's very easy to become desensitized. But as I became a mom, I was really like wanting a different visual for my son and a different way of life and um, better health implications for him. So I knew that I I had to do something um, because he deserved to to grow up in a different way than I did. And I think that's what 
really like a lot of the the newer generations and younger generations are are experiencing um, and trying to educate our elders. Like, mm-hmm. you know, now we know the health consequences of these industries. Yes, they they did build the city. Um, you know, we had like the largest steel mill here and, you know, all the skyscrapers you see downtown are, you know, built uh, on the backs of our ancestors on, on the southeast side. But, you know, my mom also has asthma and, you know, I saw that daily and there's children who have asthma and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of autoimmune disease. And that doesn't have to be the norm because it isn't in other parts of Chicago. What are your thoughts, Vanessa? I mean, was general iron moving into the neighborhood immediately a concern for you too? Um, at the time when it first started coming in, I wasn't living in the city anymore. But again, my my mother would always try to encourage me, oh, come out and, and, and help us and fight this and this and that. And yeah. when I came back into the city, I started really noticing how much more of an impact it was making on the people in the community. And then thinking back to like, how many people do I know that died from cancer? How many people do I know that like grew up having asthma or as an adult started to get asthma? Like everyone has something, some some way they're being impacted by this the dirty industry in, in the community. And, and something has to change, especially the fact that it was going to go right in front of a school. But these kids deserve yeah. better environment to, to breathe and learn in. So how did you get involved and why? in the movement? Yeah, so I've always been interested in sociology. That's what I went to school for and kind of that dichotomy of the city. I went to school in Lincoln Park at DePaul and I would take a two-hour train ride and would see progressively how when you went north that the city would change. And so um, I I heard the term environmental racism um, and when I was pregnant in 2014, pet coke was an issue in my neighborhood. This really dirty soot that was blowing around in people's houses during their barbecues. Um, So I got involved with Natural Resources Defense Council, which is my job in the Southeast Environmental Task Force. And, you know, there's been no shortage of issues since um, 2014. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's a facility SH Bell that is emitting a neurotoxin called manganese. Um, So, you know, fighting to create stronger rules to not have manganese handling expansion in the city of Chicago, Um, actually working on a health study with that, you know, manganese exposure in children on the southeast side, and then general iron. Um, There's just no shortage of issues. (laughs) Goodness. So many toxins. Yes. You're the co-founder, Vanessa, of the the Bridges Puentes Justice Collective, as I mentioned, which was instrumental in this Stop General Iron protest. Before we get into your work with that, talk to us about what your collective does. We do a lot. (laughs) We're everywhere. Um, We're doing a lot of we do a lot of things that involve um, art making for um, pretty much art for social change, art to raise awareness, art um, as an educational tool for our community. Okay. so just like um, creating visuals um, to help teach the people in our community a little bit more about how they actually relate to, you know, bigger issues. So how did you and Bridges Puentes first get involved in this Stop General Iron effort? Bridges um, started in March, or sorry, June of 2020 in response to um, Black Lives Matter. We had a Black Lives Matter, pro- um, not protest, uh, well, was it protest? Parade, March, March, <laughs> uh, a March um, in June. And then um, we followed it up with a bike ride and we're like, Let's incorporate General Iron into this. So we we started creating some um, bike art. So we had a big a kind of like a mass, a bike mass uh-huh. um, that had a lot of art about environment. And from there, it just kind of kicked off. We we contracted a friend of ours to create what became the Stop General Iron campaign logo. And then we just kept going from there and getting more creative and involving more people in like the artistic movement. Yeah. And it just grew from there. Yeah. Right. Well, well, when you first got involved, Gina, I'm, I'm curious with the protesting, I mean, how much did you know then about 
laws around facility building and the health effects of living so close to one? Because I, I feel like you essentially had to turn yourself into an expert. I didn't know too much about the laws, um, the permitting and land use laws in Chicago. And when you're an environmental justice advocate, you become a scientist, you become a police officer, you're policing polluters, you you decide how to decipher reading air monitors, um, all of the above. And so with General Iron, you know, I I really tapped into the expertise of the North Side and their lived experience um, with the, the noise, the long list of EPA violations General had in Lincoln Park with the auto fluff exposure, which is this like really kind of mossy metallic um, subproduct that gets, you know, stuck in the sidewalk and things like that. Mm-hmm. And all of the air filters on the north side um, had, you know, like really dirty filters in the daycare facility across the street from General Iron. And I already knew this facility was going to be across the street from our park, Rowan Park, where I take my son, across the street from our high school. George Washington that has an air monitor that registers some of the worst air quality in the state. And so we don't need to add to that burden. It just seemed like a setup for disaster. Would you say that this effort against General Iron is completely over, Gina? Never say never. The facility is still intact. This $80 million facility that they were very confident that they would get an operating permit for. And so, you know, I won't sleep well at night until that facility is dismantled um, and out of sight from my mind and my child's mind. Do any other companies want to move into the space that General Iron was planning on using? Down the street, there's this mining facility called Invert um, that they want to mine for 17 years to build this underground warehouse. Okay. So, you know, how the, the permitting and land use laws exist, the southeast side is a planned manufacturing district. It's pretty lax. Um, if Basically, you could apply for a permit and get one. And so that's why we're trying to change the laws to make it more strict um, so that these facilities don't see this as a one-stop shop mm-hmm. um, to keep making this community a sacrifice zone. You know, they're... We have our lived experience. We have, you know, a green vision um, <clears throat> that includes jobs that won't impact your health. And so um, we're just going to keep keep fighting. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a little bit of a whack-a-mole approach right now, and that's why we need to change laws at the city and the state level. You know, I, my assumption is doing this kind of work for the community, it, it's not always easy. Do you ever feel overwhelmed? Vanessa? Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> like, how, how, do you, how do you cope with that? Um, I think that, well, for me personally, I think my uh, personal therapy is my philanthropy. Um, so I, I'm constantly keeping myself busy in one way or another. I just kind of go through the motions and just we just look for success. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, when you talked about your collective, you, you mentioned all the different uh, ways that art was sort of weaving into this this conversation. Explain to us how you think art and activism work together? Definitely. Um, so I, I, my background is actually I'm a photographer. I'm a, I call myself a visual storyteller. And I'm always looking for the moment when yeah. I'm out um, recording. And when I look at the papers, you know, you always want to find the moment. And when we start to create those different art, uh, visual art pieces or theatrical art pieces, you start to evoke a different kind of awareness, I think, when people look at like news articles or look at Facebook or what's going on, right? You want yeah. to evoke something different. Um, instead of just having pictures of a protest and someone on a pedestal, you Which have, we see all the time. Exactly. You have a picture of someone carrying 
a piece of wood full of nails for every day someone didn't eat. Or you have people who haven't eaten in 30 days carrying a coffin on their shoulders, like those kinds of weights. Or one of the, one of my favorite ones, I think that I randomly came up with, I think at two in the morning, I started running off copies of these like funeral stickers that say deny the permit. Right. And people were wearing them because we were all in the procession with mm-hmm. this coffin. Um, so having like they're literally putting a nail in our coffin by bringing this dirty industry to us. So let's show them visually. Gina, how else has environmental racism played a role in, in your current advocacy work? I mean, this is happening all over the south and west sides of Chicago in Little Village. There was the Hillco explosion over Easter weekend in the height of the pandemic. McKinley Park, there's mad asphalt operating without the proper permits, again, across the street from a park. Um, Elko Gardens, it's called the Toxic Donut. They're going to be part of my ward now. So, you know, like, why is it that the 10th ward is going to have, like, some of the most toxic industries there? And so, yeah, we're, you know, we all work together in the Chicago Environmental Justice Network, Mm -hmm. um, trying to pass laws at the state and city level um, to address the cumulative impact of pollution. Um, States like New Jersey um, and elsewhere have been successful in passing this. Um, And so we need to look... Um, to start to repair the harm that, you know, 100 years of industry has had on our health. What do you think have been the most important lessons that you've learned, maybe becoming more of an activist for your community? Yeah, I think nothing about us without us is like a term that a lot of environmental justice advocates use. Um, And it's really we are the experts of what we want um, for our neighborhood. And so, you know, when when urban planners and politicians are making these decisions about our neighborhood, they aren't including us. And so it's really important that not only do we have a seat at the table, that we build our own table. Yeah, love that. Vanessa, any upcoming events that you're looking forward to right now? Yeah, actually, we're kind of winding down on a lot of the stuff that we're doing in general. But every year, we have a toy drive. Uh, Bridges puts on a toy drive. We started it in the pandemic, actually. Um, We started with an idea that we would help 10 families that are in need and we helped 60 families in need. Awesome. We brought Santa to the kids' houses and we did it again last year. And actually today, November 1st, we launched our third annual um, toy drive. So that's going to take up the rest of our year. We're super excited for that. That'll keep you busy. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, we're super excited for that. So we just launched it today. Well, we'll leave it there. Vanessa Blyes also is a resident of the Southeast side. She's a co-founder of Bridges Puentes Justice Collective of the Southeast. And Gina Ramirez is the mother and resident of the Southeast side as well, and a Midwest outreach manager for the Natural Resources Defense Council. Great to have you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Micah Yason. It was edited by Ethan Schwab. Want more Reset? Then subscribe to our podcast. We share great stories like this every day of the week and on Saturdays. And when you subscribe, please leave us a rating. It really helps more people find us. That's it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll see you tomorrow.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.